Now let's remain standing as we are going to read. I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and then jump to verse 15 to verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading from his holy word. Please be seated. Oh, beloved in the Lord, today is the first part of our series about Jonah. So we are going to study the book of Jonah this missions month of our church. And we are so privileged to have with us Mr. Gareth Bolton, he is not new to Bradford Church. He has been with us for almost every time he's in the Philippines, right? Almost every time he's in Cebu to visit, he would come to our church and preach. I would consider Gareth as half British and half Filipino because he married a Filipina, Malu. And it's funny that when we met this morning, he says, oh, you look more European, I look more Filipino. Because he's in a barong, I'm in a suit. Well, that's the world today. <laughs> and by the way, uh, you know, uh, yesterday was the coronation of your new king, so long live the king. Praise God. You know what, I was just so blessed. How many of you watched the coronation? It was so beautiful. The whole coronation was a worship service. It was Christ-centered. It was gospel-centered. And the vows that he made were vows towards God to uphold the Bible, to uphold the Protestant Reformed faith. And I'm just so blessed that, you know, UK, you know, they still hold on to that historic faith and he was, he was making his vows and oath with the Bible. And the very first gift given to him was a Bible. I hope that is a testament to the rest of the world, especially to the postmodern world, that even kings today, they are crowned under the authority of the Word of God. So it's a blessing. If you haven't watched it, I encourage you to watch it and be blessed by the whole liturgy. It's all about God. All right, going back to Gareth. Well, Gareth lives in Darthworth, Kent, 
that's near London in England. He became a Christian during his first year as a student at the teacher's training college near Norwich in 1968. I wasn't born that year. For 22 years in the primary school where he had been a pupil in the same road where he had lived since he was three years old. And in July 1997, he married Malou, the then Malou Domingo from Batanes. They had met while serving on Operation Mobilization's former ship, MV Dulos. You've heard of MV Dulos, so, so probably uh, you know uh, Yami, right? Uh, Yami also met someone over Dulos. So OM can also mean what? Operation marriage. <laughs> so those of you planning to get married and become a missionary, uh, do join MV Dulos. By the way, they have their new ship, uh, the Dulos Hope. So they have a new ship and they're recruiting people. So if you want to serve the Lord and share the gospel to the nations, you can talk to Alren here, who is connected with OM, and be part of World Missions. So both of them have been serving the Lord as missionaries, and they, they're always everywhere whenever God wants to use them to preach the gospel. And so today we are so privileged that Brother Gareth is here in the Philippines, and we want to listen to the Word of God through this anointed man. And so, let me present to you Brother, Brother Gareth Bolton. Well, good morning, everybody. I was looking in my diary, history of the past, and I was last here uh, February 2016. Amazing. I didn't realize it was such a long time ago. But I must also remember to speak slowly, <laughs> because it's British English, not American English, which you're more used to. So, if, you, if I'm going too fast, feel free to put your hand up, and I will slow down. Yes, you can see there's actually a, a photograph here. Believe it or not, that isn't my younger brother. That's actually me. Um, I think that is on our website, but I said to my wife this morning, I think maybe it's time to change it and remove it. Otherwise, people might think I'm an imposter. <laughs> the other thing that concerned me a little bit was the call to confession where it says, separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. But of course, those were foreign wives who were not worshipping the Lord God. I'm blessed with a wife who together we serve the Lord and go to the nations, taking the gospel around the world. I'm afraid I saw nothing of the coronation. I was over an hour in an aeroplane coming from Botanis to Manila. I spent hours in Manila Airport. 
and then flew to Cebu. So I'm looking forward to maybe looking on YouTube and uh, catching up on everything that happened in our country yesterday. And it was a significant day uh, for the nation. So it's my privilege to begin this series on the book of Jonah. Um, let me begin by saying this. There was two people traveling in a train. One was an atheist, the other was a Christian minister. And the Christian minister was reading his Bible. And the atheist looked over to him and said, do you really believe that book? Yes, said the minister, I do believe it. I believe it's accurate historically and in every other way. He said, so you believe, do you, for instance, that there was a literal Adam and Eve? Yes, said the minister, I believe that. And you believe that this man Noah built a, a big ship and only a, a small group was saved from a worldwide flood? That's right. And don't tell me you also believe that a man called Jonah was swallowed by a big fish? Yes, I believe that, said the minister. And what's more, he said, I'm looking forward to the day when I can meet him and talk to him about it. Oh, said the atheist. Well, supposing when you get up there, he's not there. Well, said the minister, then later, you can talk to him about it. <laughs> Which really raises the issue, and I, I'm going to sort of do an introduction this morning. I'm not going to look at the whole chapter. Um, your minister's done a wonderful job, I've seen already, of of looking at that chapter, and he'll take you on much further. I just want to, to start the series uh, by understanding that there are people who do not believe in the story of Jonah. They think it's a fable. Even some people who call themselves Christians, they call it a story or a parable, uh, not something that's literally true. They say that the supernatural phenomena never happened. But what is interesting is that Christ clearly did believe in the story of Jonah. Jesus spoke of Jonah as a real person, even describing him as in some way being like him. Let me read the words. You'll find them in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 12, verse 40. The words of Jesus, he said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So if Jesus said so, then we can confidently say that the book of Jonah is a literal, historical, truth-telling miraculous account. Now, you probably know that Jonah is described, or the book of Jonah is described as the book of a minor prophet. Uh, and when we use the word minor prophet, we don't mean in any way that the minor prophet or minor prophets are less important than the major prophets. It's just that less is written about them. I mean, the book of Jonah is what? It's less than 60 verses, the whole four chapters. Isaiah is 66 chapters. But they're equally valid. 
equally true and equally important. So, this is the story of Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the big fish. Well, is it? I mean, the big fish that gets such a big mention is only mentioned in three verses. Uh, and my first contact with this book, or one of my first contacts with it, was in children's meetings. We often tell children the story of Jonah. We used to sing a song. I don't know if it's traveled here. It goes, have you heard my tale of Jonah and the whale? Way down in the middle of the ocean. How did he get there? Whatever did he wear? Way down in the middle of the ocean. A preaching he should be. At Nineveh, you see, he disobeyed. A very foolish notion. But God forgave his sin. Salvation entered in. Way down in the middle of the, way down in the middle of the, way down in the middle of the ocean. And we used to sing that. I remember when I was Uncle Gareth on the beaches with the children. We used to sing that song. And in children's books, we often have an almost cartoon portrayal of the story. Have you noticed? A Disney-type whale with a big smile. A Pinocchio-type figure on the back with reins, steering this creature, as it were, through the ocean. Well, really, the truth is that this isn't a children's story at all. The more we look at it, okay, we can tell it to the kids, but we need to understand what this story is about. It's not really anything to do with a whale and a big fish. That's just an incidental of one of the many miraculous provisions that we find in this whole book. Jonah is a prophet. So the book is prophetic. But what is prophecy? I mean, if you went outside and asked people, what's prophecy? They'd probably say, ah, uh, you are telling the future. You know, the world is going to end at such and such a time. It's a prophetic statement or, or such and such an event will take place. In other words, it's, it's always about foretelling the future. Something that will happen, often something bad. But in the Bible, the prophet is someone called by God to bring God's timely word to a particular people in a particular situation at a particular moment in their history. Prophecy is really God's now word for his people in this hour. And the gift of prophecy is foundational to the church. I'm sure you know the verse. Ephesians 4.11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. So in a very real sense, the preacher is also partly a prophet because they are God's mouthpiece. Uh, and in, in the body of Christ, the prophets are supremely the mouths. And while the words that came out 
from the mouths of the prophets sometimes got the prophets into trouble, they also often got other people out of trouble because it's God's word spoken to God's people. So we're not just talking about little interesting pieces of information. These are life-changing words related to people who are often in very desperate situations, more often than not because of their own sin and failure and disobedience. And so, like all the prophetic books of the Bible, we very quickly will find, and you'll find this over this coming month, they are very relevant. They're very contemporary. Yes, it may have been written thousands of years ago to different people in a different culture, in a different place, in a different language, but the truths could be taken from the headlines of the daily newspaper. That's the, that's the beauty and the power of the Word of God. And that's what we can learn so much from. It's like holding up a mirror to, to today's society. It doesn't matter what society. It's a great thing about the Bible. It speaks to all cultures, all languages, all tongues, all nations. So, the first sentence of the first chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. If you ask me the most important sentence in the whole of this book, it's chapter 1, verse 1. Everything hangs from that. It's a glorious statement. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It's foundational. Everything else springs. Everything else follows from that. This isn't Jonah's idea. This isn't Jonah's plan. This isn't some dream, or maybe I should say some nightmare that he's had somewhere. It's nothing less than the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And the word of the Lord is always infallible. It is always true. And it is always effective. It's nothing less than the word of the Lord. And it also reminds us of the fact that God should speak to somebody is an awesome privilege. That he should directly speak to an individual, a human being, one of what today would be seven or eight million people on the planet. So hearing from God... And hearing what God has to say and obeying it is extremely important. How we need to hear the word of the Lord. I'm so glad that Jonah heard it. He was in the place where he heard it. And he heard God speaking to him. And God knows him. God knows everybody by name. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Knows his family, son of Amittai. Knows his background. This was specifically, personally, a direct word from the Lord for Jonah. That's the first thing we read in the whole book. And everything in that book takes us back to that opening verse. And in our lives, surely everything takes us back to the time when we met Jesus. 
when God spoke to us and continues to speak to us today. And of all the many prophets, and by the way, there were many prophets around. There were schools of prophets, contemporaries of people of Jonah, I like, I think, uh, Amos and Joel. But of all the prophets that God could have chosen, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This one. This was the one God had chosen. Despite what Jonah might have thought, despite what other people might have thought, this was God's choice, and God's choice is always best. And God is not going to give up on his choice either, as we're going to see. He doesn't give up, no matter how rebellious, how disobedient. But this call from God was not out of the blue. In other words, God had already spoken to Jonah before. So Jonah was familiar with God's voice. And there's a verse here that, that shows us this quite clearly in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Now this is regarding King Jeroboam II. And in 2 Kings 14, 25, I don't know if you've ever noticed this verse. Let me read it to you. So it's King Jeroboam the second king of Israel, it says, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hepha. Now that's important. So God had already spoken through Jonah and actually, it was a very, uh, it was a very popular message because God said, hey, you're going to retake some of the land. Your boundaries are going to extend back to almost what they were like in Solomon's time. So Jonah has a history with God in these things. This isn't the first time God has spoken to him. And Jonah was already prophesying, as it were, into other situations. He was familiar with God speaking to him. And I guess, maybe, I don't know, was he a bit of a celebrity prophet? Hey, this is Jonah. You better listen to him, you know? When he speaks, we suddenly finally got more land added to our territory. And it happened. But you see, Jonah, like you and me, we're on a journey. We're on a journey of faith. God is continually stretching us and challenging us and giving us new steps of faith that we need to take. And this next call that we have at the beginning of this chapter is very different. Very different call. God is speaking through Jonah and giving him an incredibly challenging task. No longer is he speaking to Jonah to tell the Israelites about how things are going to improve, but now God's heart is for another nation and another people. And the message is, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Whoa. Goodness me, these are stark instructions. There's no real details. It's just the bones. There's no flesh 
There's no explanation. There's no telling how it's going to work out or how it's going to conclude. But the Lord spoke to Jonah and told him he had to go to the great city of Nineveh. Oh, wow. Nineveh, capital of Assyria, modern day, Iran, Iraq. And it's a one-way ticket, apparently. He's to go there. And this isn't a nice message. It's not, hey, I've got good news for you. Your territory is going to extend. The message is, God is angry. Your wickedness has come up. It's offended him. And Jonah is told to go and preach against it. I mean, this is out of the comfort zone. This is like you or me being told to go to North Korea, stand up in the middle of Pyongyang and preach against the wickedness that the leadership of that country is responsible for. Wow. It's against the city. Nineveh was, well, it was a frightening place to be. It was an aggressive, expanding capital of a nation that was famous or infamous for its torture and for the way it treated people. It was situated in the desert area, as I say, the part of the world we now know as Iran and Iraq. It was dangerous, it was far from safe, and it was unpredictable. And Jonah is being told to go there alone, stand up, and preach against it because God is angry with the people. Wow. I mean, if the wrath of God was against that city of Nineveh, what do we say about cities today? London, Paris, Amsterdam, Rome, New York, Manila, Cebu. More of the world's population now dwells in cities than in the countryside. We passed that tipping point some years ago. Cities remain a major target for us to reach into with the good news of Jesus Christ. Nineveh was huge. It was about 100 miles in circumference. Do you have miles or kilometers here? Kilometers. Okay, 160 kilometers in circumference. 30 meter high walls. And they were so thick, the walls, apparently you could drive three chariots side by side around the walls. Imagine how massive they must have been. There were 1,500 towers stationed all around it. It seemed impregnable. And the people were famous for their engineering skills and their aggression. They would flay men alive. They would tie prisoners together with hooks through their lips and their noses, one behind the other. They cut out the tongues of the soldiers. They raped women as a sign of power and executed anybody when they felt like it. It was a terrible place. And they would pile the skulls, the blood-drenched skulls of their victims in pyramids outside the enemy's city walls to intimidate them, to scare them into submission. You can't believe how, how wicked it was. The whole of the book of Nahum 
neighbouring book is actually a prophecy against Nineveh. And the prophet asks in Nahum chapter 3, verse 19, who has not felt your endless cruelty? That's the place we're talking about. No wonder Jonah, I mean, who of us? Who of us? I'm afraid I, I, I would have been worse than Jonah probably. The thought of going there, standing up, and preaching in the open air against the wickedness. But you see, the gospel is the answer for wickedness. It's not going and trying to bring about reformation and telling them off for doing this. It's only regeneration that's going to change. That, that change from inside, not the external sorting things out, it's the internal change that only God can bring. The gospel is the answer. Do you remember in Mas uh, when Paul had the Macedonian call? They were calling to him, come over and help us. That's what they called. And it says, he concluded, therefore, he needed to go and preach the gospel. It's the gospel that's the answer. Sure, there's many things associated with the gospel that we can do. We can plant uh, trees. We can put water pumps in. We can help people get eyeglasses so they can see better. We can do all sorts of things, and they're good. But fundamentally... It's Christ alone and meeting with him that changes from the inside out, not just for this life, but for eternity. That's why it's the gospel is the answer. And if the gospel gets lost in our social action, then sadly we failed. Go and preach against it. I mean, this is a message that in many ways the people didn't want to hear. But this was the call. A simple command, go and speak against it. And of course he was afraid. Anybody would be afraid. I mean, he probably thought, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to end up with a hook through my nose and my lip? Am I going to be stoned? Are they going to take my skull and put it on the pile with the others? Actually, it wasn't just fear. And you're going to find that the reason that Jonah didn't go was not just fear. Fear was definitely there. But there was another thing in his life, and that will, that will come out very clearly, that he was an ethnocentric, proud, arrogant person who didn't believe anybody else other than the Jews had a right to know about God and to have a relationship with God. And this was the one, this was the one God chose. This book is the greatest book on mission in the Old Testament. That's why it's been chosen for this month. There's so many lessons. You're going to pick them up as you go along. Don't, don't miss any of these. Many lessons. But fear, of course, was one of the things. Would he be tortured? Would he be imprisoned? Back in 1950, a British guy strongly sensed God calling him to go to Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal. Now, 1950, there was just a handful of Nepali believers in the world. And Kathmandu was dominated, it still is to some degree, by altars to different gods uh, and shrines. So you could go to the temple of the rat god, okay? And you go in, there's all these rats running around. There's the temple of the, the one that freaked me out was the monkey god. There's all these monkeys lurching around, you know. 
And you go there and you, you sometimes buy food to feed them as an act of, as an act of so-called worship. Really difficult place, but he knew God was calling him. So back in 1950, long before you flew there, long journey, you took a ship all the way around to India. And because Nepal is landlocked, you have to go right up through India into Nepal itself. And so he arrives. He goes to the post office. He says, um, I want to send a telegram. We used to have telegrams, didn't we? I want to send a telegram back to England. Okay, says the postmaster, what do you want to say? He says, right, arrive safely in Nepal. Arrive safely in Nepal. Anything else? Yes, right, we will take them all in the name of Jesus. We will take them all in the name of Jesus. What does this mean? Well, don't worry about the meaning, just send the telegram. <laughs> but he did worry about the meaning. He went out the back of the post office. Somebody said, what's this? We'll take them all. Called the police. The government got involved. We'll take them all in the name of Jesus. An invasion. <laughs> so this guy, this guy, who had not been in the car, after all this travelling, they put him in prison. I mean, why, why write that in a telegram back to England? I'll tell you why. Because he wasn't looking around horizontally. He was looking vertically. And he knew that there will be those from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in eternity worshipping the Lord. He knew the end of the story. And go to Nepal today. There's way over a million believers. In Kathmandu, you can choose. I, I preached in a couple of churches there, and there's, there's other churches too. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go, get up, go. I'm sending you. If there are consequences from obeying the Lord, I know this, there's far worse consequences if you don't obey the Lord. If God is sending you, then he will be with you. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. And I have that sense when I travel. You know, God is with me, he's promised to be with me when we go out to the nations. Yes, it's scary, yes, there's different things. Pakistan, I preached on Easter Sunday, we had an armed guard at the church. This guy's sitting there with his big Kalashnikov rifle because the previous Easter, they, they bombed a lot of the churches. But I didn't feel afraid. You know, I just knew that the, God had opened the door. Here, here was an opportunity. We're in God's hands. He's sending us. Our life's at his disposal, Amen. And so there we have Jonah with this seemingly enormous task, go. But the word go in verse 2 follows the word come in verse 1. You notice that? Those are the two great verses, verbs of the New Testament. In that order, come, go. The word of the Lord came, right, now it's come, now you go. We've come to Jesus, and now we go with the gospel to the nations. And as I say, in this, just wonderful truths that we can see, and there's a lot more I can say about my time has gone. But you're heading into a very interesting 
book of the Bible. I really recommend, sit down and read it all in one go. It won't take you long. And what I like about Jonah is, unlike the other prophets, you find out a lot about him. He's a bit of a quirky character, you know? A bit moody, a bit unbalanced almost. I mean, I would never have chosen Jonah. Let's go with somebody else, Isaiah, somebody a bit more stable. No, this is God's choice. He could have chosen somebody else, and even when Jonah wanted to go, he didn't give up. Has the word of the Lord been coming to you recently about anything? Has the Lord put a nation on your heart? Or a people group on your heart? And you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. I'm so shy, I'm so weak. You know, I haven't got many gifts. Hey, friends, if it's the Lord, he will go with you. He will supply what you need. He will use you. All that's required is we take that step of faith. Say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Make my one life I've got count for eternity. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.